Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that now you would help us as we consider it. We pray that you would be with us today by your own Holy Spirit, and we ask together that you might help your people. There is much meat in this text and passage today, so I ask you especially to give to your people an attentive heart and mind that they might be able to grasp all the different movements of this text and stay with uh, your word as it is preached. And as they do so, I pray that it would have great effect on us as a people. I pray that there would be significant visible results that happen from us as we hear your word, that we might not be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but doers of what it says. Come by your spirit and make me faithful in what I say, that it might be your word filled with your power, and come be with your people as they hear, that they might hear well so that they might live well. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible or want to grab one from the seat underneath you, we are, as Keith read for us, in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. Otherwise, no problem. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. It's an, a great passage that we're looking at today. Although, as I was reading it, I just kept wishing that there was one word or phrase that would just stand out in this passage, that we would know what this passage is really about. I can see by your smiles, of course, I'm kidding, right? Uh, as you look at the passage on the screen or in your Bibles, or even as you heard Keith read it for us, one word appears over and over and over again. This word, love, right? John is all about love. I have a friend who used to call him the Barry White of the New Testament because this guy is all about love, baby, all the time, right? In fact, as a disciple, John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple. As an apostle in the church, John was called the apostle of love because of how frequently he spoke of love and talked about love. And just in case, to make sure that we don't miss it today, the word love appears 27 times in our short passage. John wants us to talk about love. Uh, more correctly, actually, it would be more appropriate to say John doesn't want us to just talk about love. John wants us to practice love. John wants us to be a people who are about love, who demonstrate love, who are a loving people who love one another. And in this passage, John is going to give us three reasons why authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another, okay? In this passage, John is going to give us three reasons why authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another. I want to walk you through those from this passage today. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. The first reason that John gives us why authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another is because God is love. Let me say that again. The first reason why authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another is because God is love. Look at the passage and look at how it begins in verse 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The first reason John gives us for why we ought to be loving people who love one another is because God is love. All right, so listen. In our day, we can talk about love 
frequently and with no problem without ever mentioning God, right? You don't have to be a religious person to talk about the importance of love. In fact, even in our culture and in our day, we have no real demands on anyone. We don't require people to be religious people. What we expect of everyone, though, is that they be loving people, right? In fact, basically everyone thinks that the way you even make it to heaven or to God is just by being a good and loving person. And so in our culture and day, to talk about love is not controversial because everyone's about love. Love is what everyone knows the world needs. And so we can have that conversation all the time, any day, without ever mentioning God. In fact, for most of us, we would even say we don't even see how the two have anything to do with one another. Why would a conversation about love require a conversation about God? Can you see that? In our culture, if you talk to your friends about what loving means or being a loving person means, there would be nothing in our culture that says you've got to talk about God in that conversation. In fact, the two have nothing to do with one another. Not so for John. For John, it would be unthinkable to talk about love without talking about God. It'd be like if I were talking to you about Apple and Apple products and Apple vision and, and its marketing and its success and, and all of it, and we never mentioned Steve Jobs ever. Right? In fact, if we were talking about Apple and I mentioned Steve Jobs and you looked at me funny and said, I have no idea what he has to do with anything we're talking about, you would expect me to go, are you kidding? Right? I mean, his vision is behind the whole thing. His fingerprint is on all of it. He's the pioneer behind the whole thing. Of course it's relevant to talk about Steve Jobs when you talk about Apple. In the same way, John would say, look, of course it's relevant to talk about God when you talk about love because in verse 7 he's going to say, love comes from God. In verse 8 he's going to say, and God is love. God is the origin and source of love. And so it's entirely appropriate, in fact, essential that God is a part of this conversation any of us will have about what it means to be a loving person and to love one another. It's impossible for John to have that conversation without God because love comes from God and God is love. Just, just so you hear it again, listen again to what he says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is an entirely appropriate for the conversation about love because he is the origin and source of love. Love comes from God. And one preacher rightly said, when we say that love comes from God, it doesn't mean sort of the way that a letter might come from me to you. Right? If I'm going to send you a letter, I have to grab a piece of paper and pen and write something and send it to you. That's not how love comes from God. It's not as if love is this thing outside of God that God's got to reach and grab and send our way. Rather, the more appropriate illustration would be light comes from the sun because the sun is light. Or heat comes from fire because fire is heat. So also, love emanates from God because God is love. It's, it's at the very core of his nature. It's at the essence of his being. It's at the center of his personality. If you want to know what God is like, John says, God is love. Being loving is not hard for God because being loving is a part of his being. It's who he is. 
And John is trying to get us to understand something about God here, right? And, and in fact, John has done this before. In fact, if you remember in 1 John 1, John's already told us something about the nature and character and essence and being of God. Remember, he said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That was 1 John chapter 1. And when we consider that, we said, look, what he means is God is light through and through and through. The closer you get, you're not going to find hidden areas of shadow or darkness or anything sinister and impure. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so likewise, John here is saying, God is love through and through. The closer you get, you're not going to find corners of hatred or bitterness in his heart. You're going to find that he's love through and through. It's at the core of his essence. It's at the center of his personality. All that God does is loving because God is love. I want you to hear that. It doesn't just mean that God loves. It means that everything he does is loving because God is love. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Hear, hear me for a second. Some of you are going through circumstances and situations in your life where you're wondering if God is even there, if he even cares, let alone if he loves. Some of us are going through things where we wonder if he's even there, if he's present, if he's interested, if he cares, let alone if he loves. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to come and put his arm around your shoulder and speak to you through John's words and say to you this morning, he can be nothing else. Of course he cares because God is love. Of course he's there because God is love. Of course he's interested because God is love. Of course he loves because God is love. He cannot be anything else. He cannot be another way because this is who he is. It's not just something he does. It's who he is. It's his nature to love. Some of you are sitting there, and if I asked you, how does God feel about you right now? How do you think God views you right now? If I asked you, how do you think God's heart is for you right now? I think if you're honest, some of us would say, deep down, I feel like he's disappointed. Or deep down, I feel like he's distant. Or deep down, I feel like he's cold. Or deep down, I feel like he hates me. And, and I think the Holy Spirit wants to come through John's words and put his arm around your shoulder and say, his heart for you is love because he cannot be any other way. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his essence. It's his being. God is love. God's heart for you is love because he cannot be any other way way. It's wrapped up into who he is. Now, when John says this, I want you to hear this. He's not just giving us theology or doctrine. There's a reason why he's telling us this about the nature of God. And the reason is because that has a very big implication on us. That God is love has a huge implication on us and how we live. And here's the implication. It's that since God is love, authentic Christians must be loving people who love one another. Since God is love, it requires, it mandates, it necessitates, it insists, it implies, it means that authentic Christians must be loving people who love one another. 
Now, if you're paying attention, if your mind is logical, the question your heart should sort of be asking is, why does one necessitate the other? God's love, but why does that absolutely necessitate and imply and insist and demand and require that we be loving people who love one another? What's the connection? What's the tie between God is love? It's his nature. Love comes from God. He's the origin and source of it. To, and so we must be loving people who love one another. Is it just that we should imitate God and try to be like he is? It's better than that. It's more than that. In fact, I want you to hear it again and see if you pick it up. Verse 7 and 8 says again, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. To understand this, we've got to sort of put together some of the things we've already talked through in 1 John. Remember, we're preaching through this week at a time, but John's written one letter. All of his theology is connected together. And if you remember back to something that John said in John 3, verse 1, remember the verse said, Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Remember that verse sort of exploded off the page, and we said the reason John's so excited, if you remember, is because he knows that we're not naturally born the children of God. God only has one natural son, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that originally we were all born away from God, at enmity with God, spiritual orphans, as it were. And remember that John has already taught us that God, because of his love for us through Jesus, his own son, sent his son to be murdered by us so that we who murdered his son would be adopted as the children of God. And so John said, Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, the murderers of his son, should be called the children of God, and so we are. And then you remember that we said, As great as the illustration of adoption is, what God does for us is even greater than adoption. If you were here, you can go back and listen to it if you weren't. But if you were here, you remember we said, Adoption's fantastic, but what God does is even greater than adoption. And I gave the example, uh, say I adopted a, a daughter from China or a, a boy from Kenya. If I walk down the street with my son and my daughter and I introduce them as my son and my daughter, everyone's going to give me that look, right? You know the look that says, sure, they're your son and daughter, but they're not really your son and daughter. At the end of the day, no matter what I give them, no matter I can give them my name, I can give them my inheritance, I can give them everything that I have, I can't give them my DNA, my genes, my, my traits. I can't pass that along to them. They're always going to look different than me. And we said what's great -er about God's adoption is not only does he bring these foreign children who were once looking like the enemy and now into his family, he even puts his nature in them. He puts his spirit in them. If you remember, John used that graphic word, sperma, that God's sperma is in us. And the English translates that as God's seed is in us. His very nature, his traits, his DNA, his spirit has been put in us who have been adopted. So that now we begin to have a family resemblance. We begin to look like his son. And that which is God's nature now becomes our nature. So when you tie all this together, here's what John's saying. Beloved, God is love. So guess what your nature must now be if you belong to God? 
If you've been adopted into his family and he has put his spirit in you, his seed in you, his nature in you, beloved, authentic Christians must be loving people who love one another for God is love. We have a family resemblance. He's put his DNA in us. He's put his spirit in us. You see, John's not just calling you to be loving people and saying, please, would you love one another? He's giving you powerful reasons why this ought to be the case. If you are an authentic Christian, you ought to be a loving person who loves one another, for God is love. That's his nature. And now it's your new nature through Christ. Authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another because God is love. But John gives a second powerful reason why we ought to be loving as well. And the second reason is this. If you're taking notes, authentic Christians ought to be loving people because God loved us. The first is because God is love. The second reason why authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another is because God loved us. Look at verses 9 through 11 in the passage or hear it with me. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, John is telling us not just that God is love. John, through this passage, is going to show us what that love looks like, what it feels like, what its character is, what describes that love. And in this passage, he's going to give you, and I'm going to jot them quickly, three descriptors of God's love. He's going to say first that God is love, and now he's going to show us that God loved us. How did he love us? I'll call them A, B, and C. A God's love for us was made manifest. It was demonstrated. Now, here's why you have to hear me. You think you know what love is. You think you know what love is, and John is trying to say to you, remember, love comes from God, and God is love. So guess who gets to define what love is? God does. And guess who gets to show you the picture of what love is? God does. So if you want to know what love really is, Look at how God loves. And one of the first things that you see about how God loves is that God's love is manifested. It's demonstrated. You see in verse 9, it says, The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world. That means that love, hear this, love is not just a feeling for God. It, it's not just an emotion. It's not just a sentiment that sort of ebbs and flows and waxes and wanes and peaks and falls. Love is not something that God falls into and falls out of. A friend of mine loves saying that, you know, you fall in ditches. You don't fall in love, right? God is not constantly falling into and out of love for you. That's not how he sees love. It's not just a feeling or a sentiment or emotion. For God, love is not even just words. It's not just sonnets. He's not just sending down Hallmark cards from heaven. Thankfully, love is not less than feelings or words for God, for he has both towards us. But thank the Lord, it's much more than that as well. 
the love of God was manifested. It was demonstrated. It came into history. It was actual. It was concrete. It was visible. It was tangible. It was real. God didn't sit in heaven and say, I love you. I really feel that today. God sent his son into the world. Do you hear that? The love of God has flesh to it, meat and bones to it. Literally. Literally. Do you see that the verse is about Christmas? The verse says, God manifested his love in sending his son into the world. So true love was sitting in heaven and God wrapped it up in meat and bones and flesh and sent it to the earth. That's what incarnation means that we remember at Christmas. Incarnation, you can hear carne in there. It's meat, it's putting meat on love. And that's what Jesus was. He was love incarnated, God in the flesh with meat and bones, visible and tangible. What that means is the love of God was manifested. It was demonstrated. It was visible and tangible and actual and real. It wasn't just an idea tucked in his heart or mind. It had flesh. It had bones. You think there's an implication then on that of how we ought to love? We'll get to that in a moment. Let me give you a, a second characteristic that John shows us of how God loves. B, we'll call it, God's love for us is also self-giving and sacrificial. Here again, this verse, in this the love of God was made manifest, there it is, demonstrated, made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love, when John's telling you, here's what love is, first he says love is demonstrated, it's visible, it's actual. Another thing he says love is, is it's self-giving and sacrificial. In its very nature, that's what love is. It's self-giving. It's sacrificial. The text says he gave his only son. That's the same sort of language used in Genesis. If you know that famous biblical story of Abraham and Isaac, the text says in that story, Abraham was called to give his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Isaac. And it's the same sort of words used here to say God gave his only son. In order to highlight, listen, he had one son and only one son, and that's who he gave. If you're a parent, I want you to hear for a second. Imagine what it would be like to give your child. Imagine what it would be like to watch your child suffer to watch your child be tortured. Such is the love of God that he gave his one and only son. The text says, so that we might live through him. So the implication is we were spiritually dead, and for us to be alive required Jesus, and for that God gave his one and only son. So what was so attractive about us that God would do that? What did God see in us that God would give such self-giving and sacrificially towards us? Verse 10 tells us what he saw in us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want you to hear that again. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Is it because God saw the seed of love for God in your hearts that God decided to love you in such a sacrificial and self-giving way? John says, you didn't even love him, and he loved you. You didn't have a thought for him, and he gave his one and only son to be the propitiation. We've talked through that big word that means God had wrath for sin, and Jesus became the wrath-absorbing substitute for us so that God would have nothing but mercy. Why did God give Jesus to be the wrath-absorbing substitute, to be the propitiation? It's not because we love God, but because he loved us. That means that love from God, hear me, is free. It's uncaused. Think of that. It's uncaused. It's not reactionary. The love of God isn't responding to something in us. It's not reacting to something in us. It's primary. It's first. It's uncaused. It's sovereign. It's free. God loves us because of something in his own nature as opposed to something in ours. God's merciful to us because of his kindness and goodness, as opposed to something in us. When there was nothing attractive in us or about us, God loved us. I'll give you a, a quick third one as well that you see in this text about the nature of God's love and how John defines love. We've said already that God's love was demonstrated. We've said already that God's love was self-giving and sacrificial. Like, look quickly at verses 17 through 19, and you'll see that God's love also removes fear of judgment. Later down in the passage, this is what it says. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I'll say this very quickly. When we understand, John's saying, the love of God, we become so secure in that love that it produces this confidence about us. We're confident about God. And what it does is it casts away fear. We have no more fear of the day of judgment. If you're a Christian, listen to me. You're not going to bed every night worrying about the day of judgment. Worrying about the day you'll stand and give an account. That doesn't terrorize you because perfect love casts out fear. In fact, if thinking about the day of judgment brings terror to your soul, John says it's because this love has not been perfected in your heart. Because by its nature, what God does is he casts out fear and produces confidence in us. We're not constantly afraid of being judged or condemned when we go to God. Rather, we have this incredible, supernatural, alien, outside of us confidence about God. God's love is so secure and so sure that we feel confident and free and secure in it. And it doesn't feel like it's the day of judgment when we're around God. Now, I've said a few things to you about what love is and how John defines it for us. And I think it would be appropriate for you, hear me, for you to begin to ask your heart some questions. Authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another. And so this passage has some questions for you to ask yourself. Questions like, in my relationships, in the people that I'm called to love, and if you're an authentic Christian, that list is long. 
right? Because in a sense, you're called to love everybody that you can. But think about your relationships, husband or wife or children or brother or sister or friend or neighbor or whatever relationships, whatever your web is. In those relationships, is love from you demonstrated? Is it manifested? Is it tangible? Is it concrete? Is it visible? Is it actual? Is it real? Because the love of God is not a sentiment hidden in his heart or feeling in his mind. It was manifested. It had flesh to it. He sent his son into the world. It was demonstrated. Is your love in your relationships demonstrated, manifested? Does it appear? Another question you might ask yourself is, in my web of relationships, is my love for people self-giving and sacrificial? Is my love for people self-giving and sacrificial? How many applications of that there ought to be in our hearts? I can think of a husband or a wife who's thinking of bailing and leaving their marriage because the other person is no longer attractive to them or lovable to them or is altogether now unlovely and unlovable or hard to love or difficult. I can think of the husband who hears in his mind, why should I stay here? She doesn't love me. Or the wife who can hear in her mind, why should I work at this? He doesn't love me. And that's where you hear John say, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I can think of the adult child who's thinking about dad or mom and thinking, why should I love him or her? She never loved me or cared for me. And I want you to hear this. John's saying, if you love people who are easy to love, if you love people who are lovable, if you love people who are worthy of your love, if you love people who love you in return, you can call that whatever you want, but John doesn't call that love. John says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but God loved us. Love has this primary nature to it, this uncaused nature to it. This, it's not just we're responding. We, you see, if you're a Christian, you are totally good with the idea that God loved you when you didn't love him. In fact, your eternity hangs on, he loved me when I didn't love him. And yet you sit Sure, but he can't possibly expect me to do that for another. You know what that is? That's the seed of hypocrisy. I'm all for the love of God, though I was unlovely and unlovable and unattractive, and there was nothing in me that should cause his love. And when I did not love God, he loved me. Thank God for that. But I don't want to do that for anyone else. And so we measure who we will love based on what they do for us and how they love us. And John's saying... If we're going to love like God, then this love has to be demonstrated, it's got to be manifested, but it's also got to be self-giving and sacrificial. It means that I'm going to love you for your well-being and what's in your best interest, even at cost to myself, because that's the way that God loves. 
God loved an unlovable, unlovely people at cost to himself for the sake of their best interest. That's the way that God loves. And those who love like God will say, look, it will cost me, but, but that's what love is, right? It, it would be better for me to have this money, but it would be better for you to have it, and so I will give it to you. It would be better for me to have this time, but it would be better for you to have this time, so I'll give it to you. It would be better for me to have this affection or whatever you want to be, but it would be better for your sake if you had it. And that's what love does all the time. In our smaller communities, in our GCMs, if you're a part of that, uh, we've been talking through idols that keep us away from doing what God wants us to do. And one of the idols we've identified as a church is comfort. We love comfort. Seven Mile Road is a comfortable people. And, and as I was thinking about this and reflecting on it this week, I realized, you know, if we became more loving, that would kill that idol of comfort. Because it's comfortable for me to keep this money, but love means I will look for your interest even at the expense of my comfort. It is comfortable for me to sit on my couch and I need this time. But love means I will give you my time because it's in your best interest. And so on and so on the applications would go. Love would come and assault this mega god of comfort that we have here. And love would call us to be self-giving and sacrificial because this is how God is towards us. Perhaps another question that John in his passage would make us ask is, in my web of relationships, the people that I love, do these people feel secure in my love? Or do they always feel like it's the day of judgment when they're around me? Husbands, ask that to your wife. Wife, ask that to your husband, even today. Ask, or in your relationships, father, son, whatever they might be, as the Spirit brings something to mind, ask, when, when you're with me, does my love make you feel secure and confident, or does it always feel like it's the day of judgment to be around me? Like you're always going to be condemned around me. Because the love of God says he sees you with all your flaws, and yet there's this confidence because perfect love casts out fear. The Holy Spirit would be far better than I could be in showing you how this applies, but I promise you it applies. You've got a web of relationships, and the question is, do we love as God has loved us? In ways that love is being demonstrated, in ways that love is self-giving and sacrificial, in ways that love casts out fear of judgment. Here's the point of all this. Here's why John's telling us this. Verse 11, hear it again. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another in this way. I, I want to say one word about this word ought, and then I'll show you the third and final thing that John says. When I say to you, as I've said over and over again, authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another, in what sense do I mean this word ought? A pastor named John Piper says this much better than I could, so I'm going to read you a quote from him. He says this, when he, that's John, says, we ought to love each other, he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water. And birds ought to fly in the air, and living creatures ought to breathe, and peaches ought to be sweet, and lemons ought to be sour, and hyenas ought to laugh, 
and born-again people ought to love. It's who we are. This is not mere imitation. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We are realizing who we are when we love. God's seed is in us. God's spirit is in us. God's nature is in us. God's love is being perfected in us. That's a good word. And, and I commend it to you. When I say authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another, I'm not just saying try and imitate God. I'm saying as surely as peaches should be sweet and lemons should be sour and birds should fly, Christians should love. It's who you are. It's who God has made you to be. And if you're not, John goes on to later say, you're a liar. Because his seed is in you. That's how you know if you are an authentic Christian. Are you a loving person who loves one another? John will later say in verse 20, I won't read it now. If you say, I love God, and you hate your brother, you're a liar. Lastly, authentic Christians must be loving people who love one another because... We've said God is love because God has loved us third, finally, and quickly because now God loves through us. First, because God is love. Second, because God loved us. And third, because God now loves through us. Look at verse 12, the last verse we'll look at. No one has ever seen God, John says. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what I want you to hear. Third and finally. Authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another because God now loves through us. I want you to hear this. God is love. God manifested that love through Jesus Christ. And God still loves. Guess how? Through you. In us. John says no one has seen God. So here's what I want you to hear. The love of the invisible God is now made visible through you through me, through us, right? It's, it's John saying there's this trajectory to the love of God. I want you to hear this. In the plan of God, God is love, and love comes from God. And then that plan said God demonstrates his love through the sending of his son. It was manifested. It appeared. But God still loves in this world. You know how? That plan completed in you, in us. In fact, that's what the text says. God's love is now perfected. That word also means completed or matured. There was this trajectory, and God's love is not complete until it finds root in us. You have to think about what a mag magnificent statement that is. That the plan of God for how he would demonstrate his love for the world had you in mind. Because the love of the invisible God is now made visible in and through us. When we love one another... The love of God is seen. A, a, a man named John Stott, a commentator, says this much better than I could, so I'm going to read you one more quote and then see if you get what I'm saying. Here's what he says. His love is made complete in us. It would be hard to exaggerate the greatness of this conception. It is so daring that many commentators have been reluctant to accept it. But we must not stagger at the majesty of this conclusion. God's love, which originates in himself and was manifested in his son, is made complete in his people. It is brought to perfection within us. So what God's saying, what John's saying is, listen, the love of God, 
was once visible in the world through Jesus, but he ascended. And now how is the love of God going to be visible? Because God cannot be seen. John's already said this. No one has seen God. But how is your world? How is your city? How are you going to see the love of God? When I love you and when you love me. This is how the love of the invisible God is now made visible when we love one another. Think of that. You're his plan now. He has no option B. He has no plan B. You are the plan by which God intends to demonstrate to a needy world how he loves. It's through his people. It's through the church now. Even as his love was once manifested in flesh in Jesus, guess how his love is now in flesh? It's through your flesh, through your bones, through your lives that God now demonstrates his love. Authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another because God is love. That's his nature. And we who have been born of God now have his nature in us. And if he is love, we ought to be love. Authentic Christians ought to be loving people who love one another because God loved us. And if you've experienced the manifested, demonstrated, self-giving, sacrificial, removing fear kind of love of God, you ought to love that way. As surely as peaches are sweet, so surely you ought to love that way as well. And authentic Christians ought to love one another because it's now in us that the invisible God's love is seen visibly. He loves through us to a broken world, to a needy world, to broken people, to one another. It's now through us that the love of God will be seen. And so as you hear this word, here's what I want to say to you lastly. Ask your soul these questions. Is love demonstrated in my life? Is love self-giving and sacrificial? Is love removing condemnation in my relationships? And if you're like me, I want you to say, hear this lastly. You'll find that you fail at many of these places. And the good news of the gospel is God doesn't even love you because of how good you love. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And so allow the good news of his unconditional love, even if you are lousy at love, allow the good news of his unconditional love to fill up in your heart and to be so consuming of you until you become a loving person who loves one another. Let's pray together. Father, this is our prayer together. My words may have been feeble and weak and poor. Your truth and word is not. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would use 1 John 4, 7 through 21 in better ways that I have proclaimed and that the Spirit of God himself might do a convicting and revealing work in our hearts that we might see where we lack and run to the grace and love of God and by the spirit who has been put in us and the nature of God now ours, we might become loving people who love one another. I pray, Lord, that among Seven Mile Road in this month, there will be many things that clamor for our attention. There will be many things that disguise itself as Christmas. And we pray that we would not miss Jesus in the midst of this season, but that you in this month itself might give Seven Mile Road Church the opportunity 
and the ability and the desire to love in demonstrated, manifested ways, to love in self-giving, sacrificial ways, to love in such a way that we would be a community where anyone would feel secure and free of condemnation. Make us this kind of people, for this is who you are, and this is who you have made us. Hear our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.